Kessler Foundation and the University of New Hampshire present Hiring on Autopilot, How to Prepare Yourself and People with Disabilities for AI Employment Practices. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Hiring on Autopilot, How to Prepare Yourself and People with Disabilities for Artificial Intelligence Employment Practices. I'm Elaine Katz, Senior Vice President of Grants and Communications at Kessler Foundation. I'd like to thank the University of New Hampshire, our partners in the production of National Trends in Disability Employment Monthly Jobs Report for providing our technical assistance for today's webinar. There are instructions currently on the screen to activate closed captioning and any sound changes. To select sound, you're gonna select the speaker you want for today's webinar by clicking on the up arrow next to the audio settings and then select one of the options. For closed captioning, click on the closed caption and then select show subtitle or subtitles to view, or you can also select the view full transcript to get a running transcript of the captions. Next slide, please. In other upfront matters, uh, we've spotlighted the ASL interpreter today for accessibility best practices, and there's two interpreters and they will be switching off during the webinar. For individuals who are using a computer and you wanna see multiple speakers alongside the presentation, what you're gonna do is go to view the side-by-side -side mode, hit view, um, usually it's in the right top corner and select gallery view. Our webinar is being recorded and we'll post it later on kesslerfoundation.org. As an attendee of this website, you are a webinar, you're a viewer. So to ask Q&A questions, you're going to be using the Q&A box on your webinar screen. Uh, we'll be reviewing those questions and the last segment of webinar is being held for Q&A. If there's any further questions after the webinar, please contact us at KF Grant Program at KesslerFoundation.org. That's KF Grant Program at KesslerFoundation.org. Next slide, please. Again, welcome to our virtual symposium. I'm Elaine Katz, Senior Vice President of Grants and Communications at Kessler Foundation. I'm a white female. I have short brown hair. I'm wearing blue eyeglasses, a red jacket, a black shirt, and a colorful beaded necklace. Our virtual symposium began as a lot of other initiatives did during COVID because bringing together people for live events just we couldn't do. So it's a unique opportunity for us to offer this virtual symposium and broadcast it to a national audience. Our work at Kessler Foundation changes the lives of people with disabilities through medical rehabilitation and funding initiatives for employment for people with disabilities. Our rehabilitation research seeks to improve cognition and mobility for individuals with disabilities such as stroke, spinal cord injury, traumatic brain injury, and multiple sclerosis. We also look to improve daily functioning independence by testing new interventions and gathering data that can be used in treatment. Our Center for Grant Making has invested close to $49 million over the past 13 years through our grant programs in New Jersey and nationally. Our targeted grant making has supported new business ventures, job creation, job development, and various sectors and businesses. But most importantly, we're the leading funder of innovative approaches that can affect systematic change by creating genuine economic opportunities for people with disabilities. Today's webinar is a continuation of our fall virtual program on the future of the work 
and influence of artificial intelligence on employment for people with disabilities. The robots are coming, as a recent article in New York Times proclaimed, which really highlighted white collar jobs for college graduates in accounting. Recent advances in AI and machine learning has really been accelerating during COVID as businesses look to cut expenses. And what's the biggest chunk of all expenses? You might have guessed it, paying people or labor costs. So there's a real concern for the disability community and its allies to be alarmed as our society embraces AI for recruiting, hiring, and training practices. Although you may not be seeing or think you're not seeing the effects of AI in your community, large and small employers from Amazon to your neighborhood grocery are looking to and employing these technologies. We hope today's program better prepares you for the coming of AI by understanding the risks of this technology and how to enable people with different impairments to be recruited and placed on the basis of individual capability and potential. Next slide, please. I'm excited today to hear from our panel of experts, all known leaders and advocates in disability. I'd like to introduce Deborah Rue, our AI guide for today, who as moderator will lead you through a, um, a lively program in each of our speakers. Deborah, you can turn on your camera now. Deborah is a global inclusion strategist, market influencer, internationally recognized keynote speaker, published author and branding expert, successful entrepreneur, and exceptional mother. Deborah is host of a popular program, Human Potential at Work. She's also an author of three books, Inclusion Branding, Tapping into Hidden Capital, and Finding Your Voice during social, uh, Using Social Media. Deborah is a recognized global influencer, frequently interviewed by various media outlets, and has gathered a significant presence on many social platforms. With over 400,000 followers across all mediums of social media, Deborah is also a co-founder of the award-winning Access Chat, one of the world's largest tweet chats with over 8 billion tweets. Deborah, take it away. Thank you so much, Elaine, and thank you so much for everybody that's joining us on this very important topic. I um, I live in Virginia, and we are actually having problems with with Wi-Fi. So uh, I, I'm going to turn off my video at, during the event just to make sure that I can be as clear as possible. Next slide. When, and as we're moving slides, as as we were, as Elaine was asking me, who were the right people to invite to be on this panel? I uh, I thought, wow, I know three brilliant people that are adding tremendous value to these conversations. So the first one of those is Heather Dowdy. Um, Heather Dowdy currently leads the partner strategy for the Microsoft Artificial Intelligence for Heather is responsible for nurturing the growing number of global partnerships with startups, researchers, and NGOs. Let me stop for a second and say, Heather, will you please turn on your camera too? I forgot to do that. Go back to the next slide. Thank you. There's Heather. Thank you. Welcome so much. Heather is also an engineer, very impressed with women that are engineers. So um, 
she so back and I interrupted myself, but Heather is responsible for nurturing the growing number of global partnerships with startups, researchers, NGOs, and providing grants with resources to scale the impact of technology for people with disabilities. She has 15 years of experience developing and demonstrating accessible technology in mobile, web, and artificial intelligence. Um, Heather Dowdy is pa passionate about connecting the dots across disability, race, and tech. As the oldest daughter of deaf parents, she is fluent in American Sign Language. She loves using the design thinking process to create solutions that empower marginalized communities and improve usability for everyone. She's a strong believer in empowering communities through education. And it's providing STEM leadership training to high school students with disabilities. And um, thank you, Kate, I am turning off my video. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and at the same time, Heather is also proud to be a mother. So Heather, welcome so much to the um, show today. And let me just give you time to introduce yourself briefly too. Thank you, Deborah, and thank you, Kessler Foundation, for having me for such an important topic. I remember uh, the panel back in the fall, and I was thinking, yes, that's the conversation I want to be a part of. And that's because I love talking about innovation. As Deborah described, I love to partner with the many innovators around the world at Microsoft with our AI for Accessibility program. And these innovators are leveraging AI in order to really empower people with disabilities. And so I could talk about innovation and the future of accessibility in AI all day. Thank you, Heather. Our next panelist is Frances West, and we'll ask Frances to turn on her camera. I'm very proud to have worked for Frances West for a long time. Frances West is an internationally recognized thought leader, speaker, strategy advisor, and women in tech executive known for her work at innovation, technology, and business transfers transformation. Her human first approach to leadership and focus on digital inclusion comes from her journey as a first generation non-English speaking immigrant and her career as a technology executive, including IBM's first chief accessibility officer. And I think she was the first woman to be named as a chief accessibility officer too, which we were very proud of. Frances is an appointed faculty instructor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and holds an honorary doctorate from the University of Massachusetts in Boston in recognition of her work in accessibility, research, and digital inclusion. She's the author of Authentic Inclusion and Drives Disruption Innovation, and her book is amazing, highly recommended, um, and founder of Westus France. Francis is Westco, a global strategy advisor company focused on operalizing, wow, inclusion as a business and technology imperative. I could not say that word today, Francis, but welcome to the program and tell us a little bit more about your work. Well, thank you very much, uh, Deborah, for that introduction. And thanks, Kessler Foundation, for bringing this incredible panel together. Um, Deborah and I, and many of you have gone um, way back in, in many years. And I think um, all of us who are in the technology field, I feel uh, this is the time when the technology and humanity has to come together. And, uh, and today's topic really gives us a chance to look at this one of the most in, in interesting and also emerging technology that's gonna affect us all. 
while it has a lot of challenges, but it also is at the beginning of a, um, of a brand new technology that, that's full of promises. So I'm extremely uh, honored to be on this panel and also uh, delighted that uh, we'll be able to uh, basically have have a great uh, session with uh, some of the colleagues that I, I work with and have a uh, uh, you know, huge respect for. So thank you again. Thank you, Francis. And certainly um, last but not least is my partner in crime from the United Kingdom. He's uh, joining us from outside London, Neil Milliken. I'm very proud to be to partner with Neil on the award-winning and now verified by Twitter access chat. Um, Neil is a global head of accessibility at ATOS, an invited expert for the W3 Cognitive Accessibility Task Force, a member of the ATOS scientific community, and an ATOS distinguished expert. He's, um, as I mentioned, co-founder of Access Chats, um, the world's largest tweet chat, I believe, these days with a focus on an accessibility and inclusion. He's a member of the Board of Directors of the World Institute on Disability, and I am also proud to be on uh, that board and an officer, and so is Francis. Um, he's a non-exec chair of the board at Genius Within and a chair of the Diversity Board for the Institute of Coding. Neil was named in the top 10 of the Shaw Trust Disability Power List in 2018 and was named DNI Practitioner of the Year in 2019 Disability Smart Awards. He's really, really smart, and he's funny and he's clever and he is really changing the world. Those of you that might not be familiar with Atos, Atos is a multi-billion dollar brand that's located in France, but they have employees all over the world, including over 10,000 employees here in the United States. So Neil, welcome to the program. Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Yeah, I, I, obviously my head is now so large that I can't fit through the door. Um, so yes, I, I work for Atos or Atos, um, we are a digital transformation outfit that do everything from landing space probes on comets for the European Space Agency, designing quantum computers to delivering the Olympics and Paralympics to the more mundane stuff like helping people with their day-to-day -day digital workplace experience, which is actually not that mundane because that's where the rubber hits the road and that's where inclusion happens. So I'm delighted to be joined by... Uh, joining you with Deborah and Francis and Heather, all people who I respect greatly, and I'm really looking forward to this the discussion today. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Neil. So we're going to start, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask questions one at a time of the panelists, and if the other panelists want to um, respond also to the question, they, they can just let us know or ping me in chat. But we're going to start with Heather. So Heather, tell us about the biggest opportunities with accessibility within AI. Thanks, Deborah. With AI, it's here, right? It's around us, whether that's speech recognition or translation or image recognition. But there's such an opportunity, I believe, to disrupt, disrupt what has been when we look at accessibility and when we look at disability history, particularly because we're here to talk about employment. I mean, the unemployment rate for people with disabilities has been the same for 30 years. 
it is time to disrupt that. And AI presents an opportunity to do just that because it's technology that gives us options and flexibility. And so I'm really excited to, to think more about what solutions can come about that really can empower and support people with disabilities when it comes to AI. And when I think about disrupting, I think about an opportunity, not just to create tech for being cool, but really to change the culture. One of my uh, favorite projects to talk about within the AI for Accessibility program is a project by researchers at Vanderbilt University. And they are developing a virtual job coach for people living with autism to prepare for job interviews. And their virtual job coach can detect stress levels and eye gaze. And it's the job coach that actually adjust the interview based on how the candidate is doing. And what that means is that it is us, the environment that adjusts. So many times we talk about, well, the person with the disability should adjust, but here's an opportunity for technology to support and allow us to make the environment more accessible. And so I think that there are lots more opportunities to, um, to change what has been and certainly to empower people with disabilities through AI. Excellent, excellent points, Heather. Francis, I'm gonna to go to you next. I'm gonna ask you a real easy question. How does AI affect the entire eco process beyond just recruiting? Okay, maybe it's not that easy, but I know you got this. Yeah, so um, oh, thank you for that question. Um, and I, I totally agree uh, with what I have just said that um, this is a time for huge disruption. And um, we have heard a lot of, frankly, uh, not so pleasant or not so positive news about AI's impact on employment. Uh, in this case, we're talking about people with disabilities. But I can tell you that AI uh, employment kind of uh, bias issues exist for everybody. I mean, any, any un underrepresented population. Um, if you look at a, a latest, there was an article actually was published by AI Now uh, Institute out of New York City. Uh, the whole 36 pages about how women are being discriminated against uh, by AI. So the good news is that um, we are actually in this together, so to speak, um, that AI as a technology absolutely um, needs the community part participation, which is a great thing because historically, when you talk about technology innovation, usually is a few people, and in most cases, men in the garage or in the back office and coming up with, with uh, technology that changed the world. But AI by the name of artificial intelligence trying to mimic human, um, this is one technology all of us need to uh, participate. So, so this is a great opportunity, all of us, um, and, can, and can play a role. But going back to your question specifically, um, there's AI actually being used in a very positive way today and uh, enabling you know, people with disability to participate in employment. Uh, just this morning, I tweeted about this uh, a startup company called Ira, 
Uh, they use, you know, um, a remote agent along with AI to, for example, to help people. In the beginning, the application um, is to help people who are blind or low vision to navigate, you know, to go shopping, to do things like that. But since then, IRA has started a employment initiative to help, for example, person to prepare for interviews, right? And also, if some of the interviews involves tests. Uh, testing. So again, using, you know, remote agent plus AI kind of a combination using technology to assist a person with disability in the employment, uh, in the interview process. So there are many actually uh, aspects of uh, the employment process from identifying the job through a job board that AI can help to, to, to funnel or to filter all the way to preparing for the um, employment to actual employment and post-employment in the workplace. So I think when we talk about AI, we really should think in the entire ecosystem and understand where are some of the issues that we we need to uh, keep an eye on, but what what are the places we can absolutely deploy AI to help with the productivity and also parity. Excellent points, excellent points. And I want to bring in um, people to, I, I want to bring in the audience when, um, when possible. And we actually have a, um, a question. And so Neil, I'm going to ask you to come on because this was a question I was going to ask Neil anyway. Um, and I, I should have done it right at the beginning, so I apologize. But what specifically is AI? And then also she goes on to say, and what steps can we take to help to facilitate success for those we work with who have psychiatric disabilities? Now, Neil, you don't have to answer the last part of it until um, we, we can do that later, but we should really talk, what is AI? Cool. What, what are we even talking about here? And if you want to dig into the other part of the question, we can do that now or we can do it later. Thank you. Okay. Neil. So um, I, I think there's, there are multiple different definitions of what constitutes artificial intelligence. And I remember we had an interview uh, that we had for Access Chat with uh, Joanna Bryson, who was on the, the, the Google's AI ethics committee that imploded. And she defined AI extremely broadly, which was essentially anything that um, humans had invented that enabled uh, other humans to do stuff that they wouldn't be able to do before. So it was taking away the, the effort of doing something. So she even defined power steering as AI because then it enabled people that weren't big and burly to be able to drive lorries. Uh, I think that most of us understand AI to be something different to that. We understand that it is built upon uh, machine learning and that um, really when we think about whether something's intelligent or not, and we're thinking of these virtual assistants, then that's actually becoming more human-like. It's not human. We're anthropomorphizing stuff. But essentially, it's the, the, the collection of these different machine learning tools, the, the speech recognition, the text-to-speech, and the combination of them uh, put together in a way that then becomes quasi-intelligent. And, 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 and so that we have these rules-based systems that enable decision-making or processes to be carried out uh, and that they facilitate greater speed and greater efficiency. 
But as people have mentioned, with that speed and efficiency also comes risk because those decision-making processes have been predicated on data and those data sets contain innate historical bias. And that's one of the challenges that we have as practitioners in the space is understanding the bias and trying to work to remove the bias. I think with particular for psychiatric disabilities, I'm not a specialist in psychiatric disabilities, but I, I have a background around cognitive accessibility and there are definitely elements that can help simplify stuff. So IBM was one of the organizations that first uh, created text simplification tools that used AI to, to remove the complexity out of text, which support people like myself with dyslexia. Um, there are, as Francis has mentioned, tools that are helping people with uh, difficulties in the hiring process with their confidence. So I'll open it up for, for others at this point, because I, I, I don't feel necessarily qualified to talk about the psychiatric side of things. I, I would just add one example of a psychiatric. Um, I know that there was research um, using AI, uh, analyzing a speech pattern, uh, which, you know, one part of the, one of the uh, key technology outcome of AI is a lot of natural language processing. And like Neil says, semantic simplification is one of them, but recognition or pattern is, is another very strong uh, attributes of artificial intelligence. In this case, there was some research being done on a speech pattern that can actually kind of predict the onset of schizophrenia. So that's one example of how AI is beginning to be deployed to help with uh, psychiatric disability. Again, very early stage, but um, it looks promising. I agree. I agree. There's a lot, there's a lot to be hopeful for. There's a lot of work being done, but there's a lot to do as well. So I'm going to come back to questions and answers in a minute, but um, Heather, let me ask you another question. Cause one thing that we definitely want to um, talk about is the current applications and how it is working right now with the recruiting and the HR and all those different things. So um, the, you know, what are your thoughts going back to, you know, what we're living with right now with COVID-19? What are your thoughts on how learnings from COVID-19 might influence the current and the future technology trends in employment that AI can help solve? Yeah, there's so much that we're learning about COVID and the pandemic globally. I think that will certainly impact technology and uh, the future of work for some time to come. I think that COVID has certainly uh, highlighted that equality is not equity. Um, we're all kind of lumped into this pandemic together, but yet there have certainly been inequities in health and in racial justice that have surfaced during this pandemic. When it comes to the workplace, there's certainly an opportunity to think about flexibility. The disability community has been asking for flexible options like remote work for quite some time. And with the pandemic, we've been able to see that it is possible 
And um, there certainly are assistive technologies that can help to make working remotely more inclusive and accessible. When I think about being able to turn on captions for uh, a meeting, um, being able to provide multiple inputs, not just using your voice, but, but chat and text, this again points to how well flexibility not only serves people with disabilities, but it serves us all, um, especially when, when living in such a time as the, the pandemic. I also wanna point out you know, to the question earlier, before the pandemic, the mental health and mental health disabilities were the number one and growing disability in the world. And with the pandemic, screenings for anxiety and depression have increased almost like 400% according to Mental Health America. There certainly is an opportunity for us to have a broader conversation uh, about mental health and how technology can help. I'm really encouraged that researchers are starting to, to think about this in the innovation space. And we've certainly looked at some partners and projects that try to figure out exactly what's the intervention and support that could be delivered to uh, the person with a mental health condition or disability at the right time. And so to Neil's point, that's where AI sort of shines in the sense that it processes lots of data um, and, and can model and a little bit of the, the future based on that and um, certainly could help us in coming up with more solutions. Well said, well said, Heather. And the, the next question, I'm gonna go to Neil. Uh, I'm gonna dovetail off what Heather was saying. Um, how can AI help recruiters make the hiring process more equitable, equitable and diverse and certainly provide the best qualified candidates for the employers? But what about the, the candidate with disabilities as well from that perspective? And then I'm going to move to Francis. Thank you. So I, I think that there is definitely a double-edged sword here because there have been a lot of uh, AI tools that have been designed to speed up the hiring process that haven't really thought that much about disabilities at all. They're saying that they're removing bias from the, the recruiting process, but they haven't thought about disability bias. So, so there is danger there. Um, at the same time, there are tools that are positively impacting um, the opportunities for people to apply. So for example, just in when you change the language of the job description and, and the, the, the way that you describe what success looks like in a role that doesn't require um, the standard way of describing, um, you know, must be able to stand for eight hours, be a, you know, a corporate commando and all of this kind of stuff, which quite often is full of machismo. Um, removing that language, ha and we've been working within my own organization with a, an organization called Textio, removing that language, uh, removing the sort of some of the gendered language and some of the descriptions around how we you know, describe the roles and what, what we require from people has had a marked impact upon 
who's applying for those jobs. Because if you describe a role in, in a very sort of macho way, requiring lots of physical effort to, you know, it makes it sound unattractive. You know, it, it, you're, you're, you're saying to some people, well, we expect you to behave in this certain way. Whereas actually when you start using language that talks about outcomes rather than describing how you might do the role, then it changes stuff. But obviously the process of writing job descriptions is long-winded. In an organization of ours where we've got 110,000 people, we've got lots of job descriptions. So one way to, to make that difference is to use AI to go through and, and, and literally crawl the job descriptions and suggest changes and, 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 and make them. The other things that we can do are things like helping schedule, helping uh, capture the information for people requiring adjustments, making sure that we, we do all of these things quickly, we capture all of this stuff. So I, I think that, that, that that's, that's a positive side. I do think that there are lots of other things that still need to be thought out because where we're um, doing things like using computers to look at people's body language, we may be excluding uh, large parts of the neurodivergent population who don't look at the camera in the same way, don't interact in the same way where we are doing timed tests. Again, we may be making assumptions about people. And then also when we're even combing through CVs, because a lot of we're using a lot of AI as an industry to comb through CVs, again, we may be um, picking up things like spelling mistakes and stuff like that, which actually may be irrelevant to the um, to the role that the person is carrying out, but we're discarding a candidate straight away. So, so I think that there is utility in these tools, but how we apply them really will determine what the impact is. Agree, I agree. There's so much that we're still figuring out. Francis, I'm going to um, ask a question from one of the participants uh, that goes uh, very, it's very close to what I was going to ask you anyway. Jo Joseph Riddle says, in hiring employment, how should we um, edit the likely biased data that the AI is learning from in order to assure AI decisions in the future are equitable? Well, I, this is a very big question, right? So um, to edit out the bias, like uh, Neil said, um, takes you know a combination of both of the thinking logic, uh, whoever write the recruitment um, application, and also data sets that's being fed into the data into the AI machine, and the data set could include just like example of uh, keywords, you know, and it does it have a kind of a intentional or unintentional bias toward that. So the right now, a lot of these uh, innovation actually occurs with a technology company. And uh, this is one of those area, like I mentioned earlier, there is an increasing awareness of a of, of voice and uh, frankly, uh, not just noise, but voice from the communities about how AI, you know, bias, against, you know, actually any uh, unrepresentative, unrep underrepresented population can just uh, geometrically, um, 
you know, impact, the negative impact. So every technology company, especially the big one, big ones, I know IBM, Microsoft, uh, Google, everybody is actually re-examining their AI strategy, right? And there is there is a trust computing, there is fairness computing, there is ethical computing. So that is a good thing, which says that everybody's aware that we have to do a lot more than just pushing this technology out. But that does not, you know, stop, of course, a lot of the startup and trying to adapt or adopt AI technology and, and, and go to print, so to speak. So I think this is this is actually one area earlier we talked about. It's not just a technology company's um, responsibility and role in, in kind of uh, shepherding AI to be fair. It really is a community's, everybody's role. When I say everybody, that means we have to really work with the government to make sure the policy actually has its, has its um as is the legislative, you know, kind of a power, but then also as a community level or at the university level, um, academia has to come together and putting the, frankly, um, not just pressure, but a recommendation and serve up, for example, inclusion by design kind of methodology to these tech companies and, and involving real people, real people with disabilities in this kind of um, uh, use case design and testing of their applications. That's the only way you can step by step to to you know uh, to either pre- in the best case scenario actually prevent bias being built in. But if the bias building because the data set is not um, uh, you know correct or or comprehensive, then add to that data set. So it's not an easy question to answer um, because it really is, it has to be a holistic approach. Agree, agree. I, I'm gonna, um, I, th- there's two questions from the, um, and they're from the same person and I'm gonna uh, talk about that. Um, Ramu Iyer, excuse me if I said that incorrectly, um, is asking two questions, but they're great questions. The, re- the recruiting process is now online and not person-centered. A majority of the intellectual um, and cognitive disability talent don't have a college degree. Supported employment agencies often target this talent pool for minimum wage jobs, janitorial, stocking, cleaning, with limited upward mobility. Is there an appetite for companies to invest in on-the-job training and apprenticeships for IDD talent, not just autism, to enable them to become knowledge workers and stay relevant? And that is a wonderful question on its own, but I also want to um, read the next question to the panelists and y'all can decide um, by show of hands who wants to take these on. But um, there is no standards body to certify that ATS is ethical and has limited bias. Is there a need to whiten a resume? See a paper in Harvard Business Review. I just want to say that I was actually reading, um, is AI the enemy of diversity? And here is a quote, AI skeptics frequently roll out a 2018 story about Amazon, Amazon, which scrapped an AI-driven hiring tool because it was making choices in favor of male applicants for software development positions. Because the algorithm was based on data from past success stories, the majority of whom were white and male, it gave lower scores to candidates 
with female attributes, such as those who have attended an all-woman's college. So I just thought his point about whitening up a resume was interesting and funny and scary. But um, who wants to take this on? Because those are some big things. But okay, Neil, I will, we will go with you. Thank I'll, I'll you. take the first one. Um, and um, so because my organization is actually active in this space. So we are taking on placements and um, during COVID for uh, supported placements under a government scheme in the UK called the Kickstart Scheme, um, where we're supporting uh, neurodivergent candidates to, to come in and, and work with us. Um, and it's not just an autism hiring program. It's, it's a wide range of different neurodivergent conditions. So, so we are doing this. We recognize that, um, that the standard interview process doesn't work for everyone. Um, I've had my fair share of bad interviews as one of those people that you would class as, as having an intellectual disability. Um, so I, I fully support flexibility in the way that we, we assess and hire people, whether that be through job trials or through uh, alternate means. And I, and I think that there is no single solution to this, particularly with cognitive, even within the cognitive accessibility community, the needs of different conditions conflict and contrast. So what may work for one group won't work for another. So, so having that flexibility, having that understanding that you may need to assess in multiple modalities is really important. Um, but also just running these programs and making sure that you get people in the workplace um, where people can understand that uh, there is value and that these people uh, add to the, the, the life of the company, to the, to the ideas of the company, uh, the, the, the perspectives that they bring are different and that in itself is valuable, is, is a worthwhile effort. So I, I think that, yes, we see the janitorial jobs and I really am keen to find ways to move away from you know, uh, disability employment programs being at that low level, what we need to find is careers. What we need to be supporting is careers. And actually, then artificial intelligence, once you're through the door, through tools like um, speech recognition, which has supported me throughout my career, I wouldn't have got my MBA without speech recognition, uh, then it's useful. Then you can, you know, have... The, the assistants, the, the Cortanas of this world, the, 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 the auto-suggestions, the, all of the spell-checking and the, the grammar-checking and all of this stuff helps you once you're through the door. But you've got, we've got to open the door in the first place and, and, and the challenges with some of the innate biases and the reinforcement of company culture because we've already defined success. Francis once said, I'm a 42L. <laughs> we were at a conference and she described me as a 42L um, because I'm, I'm male of a certain height and probably of a certain chest size. You were being generous at the time. I've lost weight since. I probably do fit <laughs> that jacket now. But, but, um, but essentially, I fitted that white male mid-40s trope of what a leader should look like. And we need to be thinking that for, for really successful organizations, 
I do apologize that, that essentially we need to be you know, taking much greater uh, care of making sure that we're diverse and that we have you know, really go from the widest pool of people so that we get the widest talent, the widest perspectives. And, and that means that the AI data sets that we're training from now don't really cut it. So we're going to need to work to build better ones. And that means working in consultation and collaboration with the community. Well said, well said. And Talking of in, the community, that was Caroline Casey ringing. <laughs> oh. Well, so another Caroline. one of our pals. Um, I, um, Elaine actually also asked a question, made a comment in a message to me that sort of goes along with this, do we need to whiten our resumes? And I don't know if anybody wants to take that on, but I will say that I, I don't want us to whiten our resumes, but at the same time, it's important for us to get jobs. And so sometimes we have to understand the limitations of what we're working with. And right now there is a lot of changes taking place. And I don't know, Francis and Heather, if y'all want to weigh in on that or oh, go ahead, Heather. And Frances looks like she does too as well. So Heather, let's go with you first and then Frances. Definitely. I love the questions that are coming through. I mean, pipeline is important. And I think it is sort of both questions are, are related in the sense that I tend to say that tech is as biased as the people making it. And we really have to sort of shift the way that we look at bias to be more of a spectrum and figure out how to reduce it. Uh, if, if someone said, hey, your website is accessible, you would test that. <laughs> you would have to test that in order to know that. And so I, I get wary of, of solutions that are like, yeah, this is going to absolutely be no bias. And I think that when it comes to the question about, you know, resume and what has worked historically, it goes back to data, uh, which Francis talked about. But the truth is there is what we consider a data desert when it comes to inclusive data sets that include people with disabilities. And so we will need organizations that can collect more data we will also need practitioners um, at companies to really ask questions about the solutions, the AI solutions um, and, and the decisions that are being made. If the AI system is set up to support the individual and in decision-making, it's important to ask questions in the form of, well, what data sets were included? Um, we've started to talk about data sheets for data sets in the industry where you can sort of kind of dig in to see if the AI model was, the machine learning model was trained on an inclusive data set. And so it, there's a lot to be said here about the fact that, yeah, at the surface, AI is really great at modeling the future based on the past, based on history. And I think in order to change that, because history has not worked well for marginalized communities, including uh, people with disabilities, then we're going to need to make sure that these data sets are inclusive and that we, uh, the disability community are involved in collecting that data and that there is transparency and accountability also holding the value tension of balancing privacy. Francis. 
Okay. Yeah. So um, I, 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 um, I, I do want to say that um, the question earlier was about, you know, do we need to widen the resume? Um, there is actually beginning to have a movement to move away from the traditional concept of resume. Um, I, I can uh, point to the example, in this case, um, you know, IBM, um, a former uh, chief executive officer, Gina Romani, uh, actually started this movement called the New Collar Initiative. So we have, historically, we have white collar jobs, you know, blue collar jobs, but now there is this new concept of new college job, meaning you don't have to have a college degree. You know, the focus instead is on your abilities, right? And uh, this is actually one thing that AI uh, as over time can help because like Neil and Heather says, is AI is good in processing large amount of data. And as we go further and further into the future, we can begin to categorize people's abilities versus the resumes. And one can imagine that in a world um, not so distant from future uh, that, you know, we will be able to match the person's ability with the jobs and vice versa. And we're already seeing some, um, some inkling or beginning of that. Um, there is this uh, employment uh, company, um, a new company called Inclusively, using artificial intelligence uh, as a kind of backbone, understanding, in this case, focus on people with disabilities, employment, understand what their abilities are, and also what their, instead of calling accommodation, they call the success factors, the success enablers, to mix it up so that they can present to the hiring uh, companies a different kind of a, a profile or narratives and say, in the past. So again, I mean, that's why I'm actually very um, bullish about AI because it is an area where we can actually change some of the old thinking like resume, because many of you probably know the university actually are throwing away SAT tests now, right? ACT, ACT, I think Harvard next year, the admission does not look at SAT as a standard test. And we know that a lot of times people with disability are not in the bell curve in the standard, it, in my way of thinking, they're actually edge worker, edge thinkers, because they're unique and they're actually different. So, um, so again, so these are just a couple of examples of, I think, the, the, the trend of technology and also the trend of employment as a stance is beginning to change. And potentially, if we harness um, the power of uh, thinking here and also participation of, uh, of the strong disability community, then we, we have a chain, we have a real good chance to, to really shape the future differently. Well said, Francis. Um, Elaine asked, and this is a great question, how can people with disabilities involved in having with these database issues, making sure that, you know, our voices are being heard? And I will start that, and I know that there's a lot of different efforts happening all over the world where people are trying to make sure we're included in these data sets. But I wanted to turn it over to the panel to see if you had any specific things that you wanted to um, address with that question or comment. It's certainly an opportunity for community partners uh, to help to, in serving the disability community and collecting this data. Um, again, 
it's important to, to really be principled in doing so because we have to balance privacy, but also be transparent that we are creating inclusive and diverse data sets. When I think um, uh, some folks are more comfortable self-disclosing their disability to an NGO, a nonprofit organization over the government because there could be implications. And so being very clear about how that data is, is being used um, and the benefits of, of making these inclusive data sets is important. But I do think that there's an opportunity for um, community partners to get involved and certainly companies are, are looking at it um, and how we address it with the products that people are using and really giving people the opportunity to opt in on whether or not they want to share and make the, those solutions better. Well said, well said. Um, Neil, do you mind answering the question that an anonymous attendee sent because it was, it certainly, um, I think was partially from what you said. Cool. Many people I know have serious challenges with using speech to text features because of their enunciation, pronunciation and or accents that are unintelligible to the software. It's disheartening because a possible tool for accessibility is not actually working for some populations. Any tips or suggestions? Yes. Okay. So th th there's multiple layers to unpack here. So um, firstly, speech recognition has been around for a long time, but it's getting better exponentially and, and, and fast. At the same time, um, there are still challenges, particularly for people with speech impediments, particularly for people with strong accents. Um, so, for example, my wife is not a native English speaker. She's from Southeast Asia. She dictates all the time in her own language, and it's fine. But when she tries to talk to Siri, she, she complains that Siri is both racist and sexist because it only responds to me. So I can tell Siri what to do, and Siri will behave, but it won't for her. So, And, and that's because it's not recognizing. It, she's falling outside of what, what it's recognizing as the accepted models of speech. There is work underway for all of the main voice assistants to be looking at uh, you know, non-standard speech models to improve this. So, so uh, speech from the, the deaf and hard of hearing community, speech for people, for non-native speakers. So, so this is happening. I, I hate to say be patient because I wouldn't be patient if I was in your position either, but it will improve. And I think that the, 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 you know, what we've seen is that, that where um, machine learning is really good is that the more data it gets, the quicker it learns. So keep shouting at the smart assistants. Keep trying to correct them. Don't get disheartened. I, um, I spent a, a, a very tough few hours outside of Glasgow in Scotland one time teaching a bunch of people with extremely thick Scottish accents to use speech recognition software. We got there in the end, but it required training. And with the automated systems, um, that training doesn't happen auto, uh, you know, over immediately. It gets sent back and only if you actually allow it to have the data. So then there's another issue, which is trust. Do you allow, do you trust the big corporations enough with your data that they're not going to be listening to you? They're not going to be identifying you to enable them to take that 
and learn from it. So it's it's a real question of sort of what do you give and what do you take back? Well said, well said. Um, Heather, I want to ask you the next question. Um, and it's Dirkani Hawk, which once again, probably butchered your name, I apologize, but I'm still learning about, the, about AI. Will the AI have the ability to work as an ASL interpreter at the deaf person's job interview site? Ooh, good question, right? The deaf community wants to know. And we are a long ways off from that, uh, very much so because of the need for more data sets with sign language. And I'll also say that certainly the approach is not to uh, replace sign language interpreters, but I like to think of AI as putting the super in human. It is how do we complement them? How do we make it easier for them to do their job so that perhaps they are doing something else? And so one way in which we're looking at that is a project at RIT, um, the National Technical Institute for the Deaf, and they are looking at sort of a hybrid caption model. So traditionally at universities, you might have a captioner um, that's typing during the class. And then there's an AI solution that is automatically uh, picking up speech recognition. And so there's this solution where they're trying to bring both of those together, the human captioner and the AI solution so that by you leveraging some of the automatic captions, then the captioner is able to then just correct, spend time on correcting the mistakes and making sure that that data set improves and that solution improves. And so I just say that to say that really the focus is on how to complement um, our jobs and, and how to make it easier for us. Well said, well said. Francis, the next question. I, I have my own questions, but we're getting such great questions from the audience. Uh, I want to make sure we can get to all of them. But um, Tracy Powell Rudy made a really she she made some great points and asked a question. As is the case with any technology, it can be used well or abused. Voicemail, for example, you can hide behind it or may provide timely and informed responses easier. We integrate autism employment advisors. We Integrate Autism Employment Advisors have been working with HireVue, an on-demand AI-based interview platform to ensure that it is autism-friendly. I think the real issue is ensuring that we, the individuals with disabilities and their advocates, have representation at the development level. Companies creating these new solutions need to be testing these platforms with these various populations, with, uh, which others have said. Um, as an extension of what Heather said, how can each of us and, and you facilitate more representation at the level? Can we create uh, individuals with disabilities or Kessler seal of approval, like the Good Housekeeping Seal or Underwriters Lab that ensures this, occur this occurs? <laughs> well, this uh, question actually get to the, 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 the essence of my uh, uh, my uh, actually being right now, uh, many of you or some of you may know that I've been um, really focusing on um, trying to really uh, help, for example, the, the AI, the application of AI is actually 
coming out of the startup, right? I mean, you have tech, tech company that create the AI platform, but the usage of AI technology to create, whether it's healthcare solutions or employment solution like uh, applicant tracking system is actually in this kind of a startup world. So you're absolutely right that uh, collectively as a community, if we can begin to really educate the entire ecosystem um, from innovation, from incubation to innovation, to, to design, to development, to deployment, the entire process, and making sure that people with disabilities both their point of view and also their needs articulated in the technology function and feature is, is integrated. Uh, right now, we, we really don't have that process. Um, and AI, the entire AI world, you, if, you, if you read any um, uh, business article, you know tons and tons of investment. We're talking about billions, right? Not millions, billions of dollars. And the faster these startup goes, if we are not in there, the faster the geometric negative impacts are going to occur. Um, so I think there is work to be done in integrating, but from a, a integrating a people with disabilities mindset, understanding, and also the process uh, into the uh, current quote unquote development. When I say development, I actually mean the entire you know ecosystem. Uh, especially in the startup because they are the they are the one that creating these solutions that affect all of us on a day-to-day -day basis so it's a great question i agree so I agree. you guys are having so much fun i'm just gonna jump in here because we're, <laughs> we're getting towards the end um and you know i'm always the practical person and i just wanted to kind of ask a question for some of the people who are actually working out there as agencies so if if i take somebody to a job interview site and first they have to fill out an online application and it times out and then I find I can't get through the system because I can't that person cannot get that application what do I do how do I help that person who I'm trying to get employed get through that system what are some of the steps I can take I'll just chime in and say that really sitting back and looking at how to design the user experience from end to end is not new to, to AI, but it's just still very cornerstone to really building accessible experiences. And I think that in, in the case of really providing just access you know, from the get-go, it's important to give multiple modes of input. AI has shown us that we can do that. You can definitely, you know, provided via text or voice or, or, you know, image recognition of a form, there are so many other ways. And so building in the flexibility and making sure that you look at the end-to-end -end experience, particularly um, in the mindset of including people with disabilities and, and thinking through how a person with, a, with various disabilities might go through that experience is still really key. Neil, were you going to say something? Uh, well, Heather actually said it for me, which was to you know make sure there are multiple modalities um, because that's what we do right now is we we recognize that not everyone will cope with our standard process. So we, we, we make it clear 
that they're, they are welcome to phone us, email us, get in contact through whichever means if they're interested, and we will find a flexible way to ensure that, that they can apply. Uh, and it's, it's about signaling that because we're not going to be able to put every single flexible way online. What we can do is make it clear that we are willing to listen to candidates and accommodate them uh, and find a way for them to apply and make sure that that is clear and in every, every time we advertise, make sure that people know that. Well, there's a lot of questions in our chat box. Um, I'm gonna throw a few out there too. Um, there's one, th there's been a lot of questions on speech because I think that's the, that's the one that most people are familiar with now. So there's one from one of the attendees that if a neurodivergent person who has benefited from scripting and has a monotonic speech or robotic speech goes through job interview coaching and AI, is there a discussion around how to make sure that person doesn't come out of the experience sounding or looking more robotic? Which is a really good question. If you're looking, if you're looking at training through AI, what is that? You know, how does that person take away something that's more natural? I guess that's really the question. Somebody want to take a shot at that one? Neil. Oh, I, I think that's a really tough question. I don't think we're there yet. I, I honestly don't think we're there yet. I think that the AI. Uh, is only is limited in terms of what it can recognize and therefore it's still looking for patterns so um and and if it's looking for patterns and it's trying to coach you to behave in a certain way and you struggle and therefore you're sort of overemphasizing and you're masking because that's quite common people people have to feel that they have to mask in order to get through and, and look neurotypical in, in the interviews that, that they may over may overdo it and that the AI may not recognize that. And I think that that's still a danger because it, it's, it's, you know, that masking may look to, to AI like it's the, the behavior that it's looking for when actually it's kind of overdone and people are going through the motions and the human will probably um, recognize it as being slightly slightly strange um whereas actually you'd probably be better off being your your normal you know your day-to-day -day self so whatever you are on a, on a day on a day-to-day -day basis if you have slightly monotonic speech that's fine actually what we're looking for or what 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 one hopes uh employers are looking for are your abilities to do the job that we have advertised we, we far too frequently select for people that are good at interviews and not good at the jobs that we need them to do. Mm -hmm. And so actually focusing on what we require the candidate to do and the skills and getting them to prove that is more important than the way that they deliver their answers. Yeah, using skills is really, I think, where even funders are looking at when they look at programs in the field, um, because it incorporates all those people who may not have degree work, but have life experiences or lived experiences that can really do the job. Um, there's one topic that we're getting in our Q&A that we really haven't touched on at all today, which is the psychological and personality tests that are used through AI as screeners and companies. <laughs> which 
Neil's making a face. I'm sure it's not a favorite of people on this call, but Francis, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I think the personality, all these in, uh, what do you call the uh, intangible attributes, uh, it, it is the ultimate challenge of AI, right? Because now you're talking about something you cannot, you know, logically put a binary decision, yes or no, you know, gone to college or not, but it's this very gray zone. Uh, they are, I think the, there are companies out there doing the unconscious bias study, for example, matching the, the facial recognition of the, for example, tilting your eyes or the angle of the body, they can derive certain um, uh, conclusions or indication whether there is a biases or not in the uh, in the uh, um, the the relationship uh, of a discussion. So, I think again, this is one of those area that um, it will become more and more. Uh, you know, mature uh, and the Myers-Briggs kind of a personality test kind of a data set is being quote unquote study and then absorb. But is it at a level where really um, can cause industrial strength or has it gone through the testing? I don't think so. But that's another reason why this kind of um, discussion is important. So because we're still at the very, I always say the AI is like an infant stage right now. It really doesn't know <laughs> much yet. So the good news, we still have a chance to, to influence, um, but there's a lot of, actually a lot of hard work ahead of us too. Does anybody yeah. else want to comment, Neil? Yeah, um, so, so I, 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 I'm still a real skeptic about some of these things. So my pal, Dr. Nancy Doyle calls Myers-Briggs the astrology of business. <laughs> so it's, it's what star sign are you? Oh, I'm ENFP. Um, so <laughs> Or I am INTJ. I, I think that the there needs to be more science behind <laughs> some of these these business personality types too, because what we're doing is we're applying business theory, which may not actually have that much science behind it, uh, and then putting prescriptive analytics on top of it. So we're we're then automating something that's not very scientific in the first place, and that's dangerous because then we're, we're making assumptions about people and about their capabilities. So I think that, that, that there's real potential, but there's also you know, a lot of work still to be done and a lot of work on the, on the basic fundamentals. And we need to get the fundamentals right because the, the actual processes and, and the application of AI is not that difficult. We, we know how to do that. It's, the, it's the, the ethics and the science and the research to create the right data set so that we can take the right decisions. There's, a, there's another interesting question. We really have time maybe for one or two more. Um, and this is asked by uh, Richard, given the advancements of AI and the understanding of different data sets available, has the HR industry, so has human resources been a gatekeeper to the older methods or is that industry now embracing all these new advancements um, on AI and also putting less weight on CVs and college degrees? I, I can take a, a shot at it. I mean, if you uh, look up, there is a group called Hacking HR. Um, it's a group of HR really uh, wanting to use data as their uh, baseline of uh, HR thinking and so 
So from that standpoint, there is an emerging a new breed of HR that actually embracing the technology head on and understand the HR function is not a support function, but a lead function. And like, you know, Neil just said, by the way, in terms of personality, I think the skill sets of the work of the future in terms of a leadership is so different and actually play to the advantage of people with disabilities because it's a creativity, it's collaboration, you know, and, uh, and, and like Deborah's connecting, you know, different dots. So I think from that standpoint, again, I'm an optimist. I think, you know, the people with disability communities and the, just the way they operate and think has huge potential um, kind of leg up, so to speak, in the future of work scenario. Heather, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I just, uh, this is such a good conversation. And as you said, we could continue to go on because <laughs> we all work together. But I love how my colleagues just brought it back to culture. Uh, we can't expect technology just to fix everything for us. There are some things that we really have to sit down and think about, like, why do we want that particular outcome? Why are we using personality tests? What is the outcome? Is there another way to do it that is more equitable? And so that's just the challenge that I have for everyone that, yes, AI is emerging and there are great benefits, but that doesn't take away from the work that we need to do to really understand how to use it responsibly and why we need to use it. it. Using AI to make a decision for us and you know make automated decisions, maybe that's not the best use of it. Perhaps helping us to make decisions, inform decisions, hey, there's opportunity there. So with, with that comment, Heather, that really sets us for really the last question we have time for, which is in an agile team building consumable software, there's great opportunity. So there's great opportunity really for people with intellectual disabilities and other disabilities to be testers of some of these systems. Um, how can they get involved in doing that? How do they know what's going on? Or is there open calls, for example, for people to kind of test the software within agencies or job candidates? How do people get involved? Yes, there are always beta rings. Nothing is finished the first cycle. And so please include people with disabilities to test. People with disabilities, uh, Neil said, be patient. I said, get involved. Um, so how do they get involved? That's the question. How do they get involved? You yeah, there's definitely lots of, of beta releases in the market, whether that's app or whether that's within testing within a company for sure. And how do you hear about that if you're, I mean, if I, I'm, I'm just sitting in New Jersey and working, doing my daily job, and I'm either a person with a disability or work with disabilities or have people with disabilities in my families, how do I hear about those opportunities? Do the companies put out, you know, notices that they're looking for testers? I'm seeing it on, yeah, I'm seeing it on social media. I'm seeing requests on social media. I don't know about the rest of you. Go ahead, Heather. And I will also say that your uh, universities, I mean, because this is such a new technology, a lot of companies, uh, private sectors are actually going and in collaboration with universities uh, everywhere. So, so check out your local university and see if they're any, doing anything and then actually, you know, involve yourself in some of their projects. That's to me, that actually is a, the best way to get started and then go to your local um uh, a lot of the cities now have these innovation hubs, right? Uh, incubators, accelerators. They, they actually have special track for AI. 
There are also community forums as well. Um, we're no stranger to giving our feedback when something isn't working. And then you get tapped to test the next thing or to test the improvement. So continue to give feedback on products. Well, we have just a minute, about a minute left. I'd like to give everybody just the 30 second wrap up. So let's just start with Heather. Just wrap up kind of your last thoughts. Get involved. Inclusive data sets are really key, given that AI runs on lots and lots of data. And so inclusive data sets means that we're including people with disabilities. And when designing AI solutions and implementing them, particularly in the employment space, think about flexibility, personalization, but also the outcomes. What are the outcomes? Why are you using that technology? And is that the best use of the technology? Neil, what would you like to add? Uh, so I talked a lot about science, but we also need sociologists and historians uh, building tech because these people understand what's gone before and they inform our understanding of the data sets and the understanding of the biases and the potential challenges that we might face. So they can help us predict some of the, the things that might happen. Great. And Francis? I would just say that AI actually needs your help, right? I mean, uh, as technology gets more human, human needs to get human. We we should use every opportunity like university access and social media like Clubhouse. I just noticed it's a new social media uh, forum that of course is not accessible to people who are deaf. But anyway, the social media forum creates a community voice that is absolutely needed. Uh, so again, this is a kind of opportunity that we can shape the future. Deborah, another really quick wrap up. Well, I would just I would just say I know that I'm working on something some of y'all know about that's really going to pull the community together so our voices can be more heard. So I think anything that we can do to help each other be heard and make sure that we're opening the door wide behind others. And, bringing in more diverse conversations, I think it adds value to this. And thank you, Elaine and Kessler, for your leadership. We really, I like that, that seal of approval they suggested, Elaine. Why don't you answer that? That's a good idea. <laughs> oh, notice I avoided that right now. But I want to thank you all um, for all Heather and Francis and Neil and Deborah for all your expertise and information today. Um, it was great to have you and um, go forward with strength. Talk to you soon. Thank you all for joining us today. For more information about this symposium or past symposiums, go to KesslerFoundation.org forward slash 2021 symposium.